Hello, and welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. I'm your host, Scott Brady, and I am here with Matt Scott, my co-host. What's going on, Matt? You know what? It's just a, uh, what is today? Today's a Friday. It is. So when we're recording, at least, yeah, it's it's been a really good week. So It has complain. been a good week. I was, just, I was just on the Land Cruiser 200 Series Heritage Edition ooh, launch. Ooh, you know how I like black Land Cruisers with bronze wheels. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. <laughs> Um, I was, I was grateful for the fact that they do have a white option. So it actually, you know, something that can still have the bronze wheels. It does. It absolutely does. And then it, and then it comes with a, like an $80 Yakima rack on top. So, oh yeah, that looked a little bit cheesy on a what? Almost hundred thousand dollar car. Yeah. $90,000 car. Yeah. A little bit cheesy. Yeah. yeah, They make great racks, but it seemed like it was way too small. Yeah. It was, it was just the rack that they chose is the rack that you'd see on a RAV4. Yeah. Yeah. $90,000 off-road car. Yeah. It needed to be a larger rack, I think for the vehicle. But what was another thing that was cool about it, they were pretty mindful of it is they did a third row delete. So. Oh, cool. That adds some additional payload. They also skipped the running boards right out of the factory, which I thought was cool. Yeah, That's nice. And then their, uh, their heritage edition, um, logo that they had on the back, um, back oh, window. That Toyota Land Cruiser, very classic, but not, it was just perfect. taken from a, a 40 or a 60. It was perfect. It yeah. lit, they, they didn't adjust it at all. It is the original logo, which I thought was, was really nice. And the car drove great. I, I didn't realize how much of a difference that eight speed made. Mm. Um, so pairing that five, seven with an eight speed, you get a lower first gear and you also have two overdrives. So I think you're going to get better fuel economy, better overall drivability. It made the vehicle feel refreshed in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and it's been out for a couple of years and nobody's been having any issues with them. So gearing is, is very important. I've only driven that particular transmission behind the, uh, the VDJ mm-hmm. 200 with that, that twin turbo V8 diesel. And I can tell you that it scoots. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, the diesel is definitely the motor of choice for anybody who wants a 200 series. Um, but the five, seven would be, I mean, I think about it often, if you were going to buy uh, one vehicle, which is what we're going to talk about today, we're going to talk about buying used overland yeah, what, vehicles. What are, what are the best used overland yeah, vehicles I mean, that you can buy right now? The 200 in is North America. Yeah. The 200 is definitely something we're going to chat about here in a little bit. So. Yeah, definitely. And Matt, you are the king of buying used vehicles as, as least as far as somebody that, you I know, have. the uh, self, self-proclaimed vehicle ADD. So I, uh, I, I kind of, I, I go through cars about the the same right people go through shoes. Which, yeah. you know. I was thinking underwear, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, unless you buy ex officio, they last quite a while. Um, yeah. So I, I think, you know, going into this, into buying an Overland vehicle, we are really basing this on, on those that intend to travel with them. Right. Um, this is no disrespect to the, to the weekend crowd, but this is people who are looking to, to go international, to do extended trips, whether they're here, whether they're driving to Alaska, Pan American Highway, whatever. So I, I think it's important for everybody to realize we're not we're not choosing vehicles based on the fastest or the the highest performing and technical train. We're we're really choosing things on you know what does it cost to repair? How appropriate is the vehicle? Does it have enough payload? Um, and and also as weird as it sounds, you know how much does it cost to actually upgrade these vehicles? I mean, you know, a, a, a 200 series these days, you, you can get in the, you know, low twenties, but you're looking at $4,000 for a rear bumper. If you want to, let's say add an auxiliary tank, you're looking at two to three grand. Um, 
So we're really trying to kind of keep that in mind. We know that people are going to modify these vehicles. So we've tried to choose things in their respective low, mid and high categories that, you know, that are attainable to people. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess we should just get going, you know, first generation Tacoma, third generation forerunner, you can't really beat them. You really can. If you're looking at what do I spend that 10, 12, 14,000 bucks on? Yeah. You can get those trucks. And, and of course any vehicle will do. I mean, people have driven around the world in, in C-class Mercedes sedans yeah. or you know, or Fiat 500, whatever. So it, we're not saying that you can't take whatever you want to take around the world, but we also don't, we also don't prescribe to this idea that that's something you should recommend that someone do. No. It's because someone's choosing, I'm going to do a stunt or this was the vehicle my dad owned and he always wanted to drive around the world. And it's this personal connection, but I definitely don't prescribe to this idea that run whatever you brung or any vehicle will do um, because that's actually very short-sighted and it puts the trip at risk. If, if the goal is to travel around the world, buy something suitable to support around the world travel or to support driving down to the end of Baja and back. Um, And and certainly it can be done and it has been done in very obscure cars, but there are things that just do it better and that you can actually get serviced in the middle of Uzbekistan um, where getting that Dushavo service is going to be an impossibility. I mean, mean, I'm all for being what I call an overland snowflake. I have been one many times in the past, but we're kind of, I guess, trying to, to focus on good advice here. If you want bad advice, hit me up on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I think oh, Matt and I, we were talking about it. Um, instead of just focusing on the vehicles initially, it's more about focusing on the mindset. And mm-hmm. I think one of yeah. the big mistakes that people make when it comes to vehicle-based travel is they spend way more money on the truck and way more money on the gadgets than they ever spend on travel. And if if we can encourage everyone listening to think about if you're going to create a budget for the year, like let's say you want to drive down to Ushuaia, uh, make sure that you spend a lot more money on the travel itself, the experience, the shipping of the vehicle. Um, And even if you only travel domestically, are you spending more money on those fancy shocks than you spend on gas? How many times have we seen someone buy a brand new forerunner and they lease it because they can't afford to buy it. So they lease it and then they max out their credit card on suspension and other accessories. Um, and then they don't even have five bucks to take it on a trip. And that's, that's really unfortunate. It, they miss that opportunity for those experiences. Yeah. I mean, the thing that my travels have taught me is that wherever you go, no matter what vehicle you're in, you can be in, in an earth roamer, you could be in a a Vespa, there's always going to be somebody local in the country that has a Toyota Corolla. So keep that in your head. Most of the, the off-road modifications that you're doing, if you're, if your focus is travel, I, I don't want to say that they're, you know, that they're not needed because that's not what I'm trying to say, but you don't need 35 inch tires to do the Pan American highway. I mean, it's being driven by commercial trucks and families mm-hmm. most of the time. And you may want to do really technical routes yeah. and that's when you need modifications. But I think be realistic and yeah, be, sure. be honest with yourself. Um, you know, if you can, if you can step aside from the ego, that is, um, you know, a lot of automotive modification, I, I, I think you're just going to be better off way better off. Um, and then you'll actually have experiences at the end of the day that, yeah, that'll show you at the end of it. Oh, I didn't actually need that at all. And, and Dan Greco again comes to mind your first, our first guest for the podcast. He drove around South America with a, a stock yeah, soft stock top TJ soft top TJ. Yeah. <laughs> like, so 
by the way, that, that vehicle has kind of made our list only because of you. Yeah, exactly. So. But, so I think that's an important thing is look at your budget, make sure that you're applying more resources towards experiences than you are towards the vehicle. And that's why we really want to focus on these very affordable vehicles first, because um, why not do that? Um, yeah. You know, I crossed the Silk Road in an $8,000 Jimny. Matt has driven around Southeast Asia on scooters. Um, it, it's about the experience and it's important to remember that. Um, so let's go down our our list, Matt. What do you got for our first option for the low category. You know, and I don't, I don't want to dwell on them too much, but you're going to hear a lot of recommendations from us that are Toyotas. That is, you know, I guess just based on experience, Scott and I have traveled all over the world on Toyotas. Um, they, they, they just work. I mean, honestly, if there's a Toyota four wheel drive that's in your price range, you know, there's a few exceptions with a, a few different motors that maybe are, are, are less desirable, but they're, they're going to be great. I mean, you know, if you want something, let's say for Baja, I, I would have a hard time steering and they're on a budget steering them anywhere, but directly to a first generation Tacoma. I mean, mm-hmm. they are everywhere they down are. there. And the same goes for the third generation forerunner. I mean, some people can even sleep in them if you're not super huge. Um, they're very reliable. They get decent fuel economy from that six cylinder. Um, they're, they're, they're great vehicles. There's a lot of aftermarket opportunities that are affordable for them. Um, you know, and it is an, an international platform. It that, is. That, that's the exception with the Tacoma. Um, a lot of people think that the Tacoma has some DNA connection to a Hilux. There's actually very little. Yeah. Very, very the, little than the badge. I want to say the doors are the same or, it, or it something like po- that. Possibly, but the frame is very different. And because of that, um, it has a very low payload. Uh, most international Hilux vehicles are going to be a full metric ton. Um, that most of the Tacomas that we've got has been 1200, 1300 pound payload. So it's just important to not overload any of these vehicles, even the forerunner, um, based upon a Prado 120 international chassis, uh, you're still dealing with a vehicle with a very low payload, 1400 yeah. pounds approximately. Um, so once you start adding those bumpers and sliders and everything else, you can chew yeah. up a ton of And payload. let's not forget that payload does not include passengers. It That's does right. not include fuel, right? Um, you know, 1400 pound payload, you put two Americans in there. Let's just, let's be very nice and say two Americans is 300 pounds. And then you're talking fuel and everything. You're, you're, you know, you really have a thousand pounds of payload and then you go from there. Um, you know, on that subject, I, I think keeping things as simple and as minimal while you're, if you are actually traveling, um, you know, that's, that's also a huge, huge part of it. Yeah. I was listening to a book uh, on the, on the plane yesterday called Vagabonding by Rolf Potts. Mm. I think it actually might be the very best book ever for, over, <laughs> for overlanders too, because he, he just digs into the philosophy of travel and yeah. he strips away all the gadgets. I mean, this guy, this guy traveled around the world kind of on a dare with no luggage. He left with no luggage. like a pair of underwear stuck in his jacket pocket. (laughs) It's pretty awesome. So it's just a reminder that keep this stuff simple. It's less to get stolen. It's less to have to maintain. It's less to have to buy initially. Uh, So that's really important. And most of our North American vehicles really can't support a lot of of aftermarket um, accessories anyways uh, with payload. The exception being, of course, the 80 series, which would be the the sole Land Cruiser in this price category. Yeah. And we'll get to the 80 in a little bit, but I think let's talk about some Nissans because they are massively underrated. I mean, you see everywhere you see a, a, a Hilux, 
you see a Nissan Navara and here that's sold as a frontier. You know, that is actually one of, you know, the few affordable, you know, mid-sized trucks that is a global platform. You're going to be able to service that, you know, man, almost everywhere. I mean, they're all over South America. They're all over Australia. They're all over, yeah, they're all over. Other than. And they even make them in Europe they too. Do, they do. And other than Toyota possibly or Mercedes, you're going to find more Nissan dealerships yeah. globally. They're just going to be available everywhere and they're extremely popular. And the high, you know, we've got um, the Frontier as an option. We've also got the Xterra as an option. What do you think of the Xterra, Matt? I think that Nissan is absolutely crazy for not currently making an Xterra. I think that vehicle has always been, you know, really cool, actually. Yeah. You know, yeah. it had a strong driveline from, from what I remember. You know, they had a lot of usable space inside of it. I remember when they manual first transmission. Came, manual transmission. Um, they were even available with a supercharged motor. Um, Austin right. had one of those. That's right, he did. And uh, yeah, you know, why why there aren't more Xterras or the Xterra doesn't get more play in this community, man, I really don't know. Yeah, it seems like Nissan is so focused on the West Coast. Uh, if you go to California, you see Nissans everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but once you get the closer you get to the center of the country, they, they just aren't as available, but they are a great choice. Um, and also I like, they're, they're less likely to get stolen internationally. Yeah. A Toyota, the people that own Toyotas, they don't, a lot of people don't know this, but Toyotas get stolen all the time. In fact, we have a mutual friend, Cyril from Guatemala, mm. originally from France, but lived in Guatemala for a long time. I asked him why he drove a Range Rover Classic. He says, because nobody wants to steal it. Nobody can afford to maintain it. <laughs> so it, it, he was actually the safest car he could drive around. That's funny. In Guatemala was a Range Rover Classic because nobody would want the car. Whereas if you're driving around in an 80 series Land Cruiser, that is highly desirable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so before we get to that 80, let's talk about the Jeep Cherokee. That is my, my personal choice. If I was to leave tomorrow and I had, you know, a five to $10,000 budget to get myself on the road, I, I, it would, it would be a Jeep. I mean, they're here, they're available. They're relatively lightweight. I'll, I'll admit, I don't know what the payload necessarily is on them, but you know, you can take that vehicle buy any one of them, take that vehicle to any mechanic is going to know how to work on it in America put a thousand to $2,000 into it and you're going to have new brakes. You're going to have new U joints. You're going to have new alternators, starters, spark plugs, coil packs, TPMS sensors, TPS sensors. Sorry. You know, those are the things that are going to fail on a, on an older vehicle. And with the Cherokee, you know, they're pretty, they're really, really affordable to, you know, to fix. And, and they're they also, very capable too. You can put a roof tent on one. You can have one, you know, essentially stock. Like if you're not into the crazy off-road thing, Cherokee with a roof tent, and you're going to be able to park that in parking garages when you go to cities, which is something that people often forget is actually kind of a valid thing. Um, yeah. And they're all over Mexico. You all can see over. Cherokee. So and if, if Baja is your thing, yeah. that's going to be, I mean, mechanics down there see those cars all the time. Yep. The four liters, super bomber, again, manual transmission option. Yep. Um, regularly you could get poverty package units with vinyl interior and, and vinyl and rubber floor mats. <clears throat> so they can, and they can be purchased very cheap yep. and maintained very cheaply. That's certainly a choice. I think for me, if I was to pick my pick would probably be an early forerunner. Yeah. I think like a, a gen one, gen two, maybe the gen two with a manual transmission would be a pretty, pretty interesting, cool. a pretty interesting choice of uh, gen three was also available with a manual. Yeah. And that little, and the three, rear four, locker, three, four V six. Yeah. That would definitely be my choice would be probably a gen three manual yeah. transmission forerunner. 
you know, again, it's, it's so hard to, to beat the Toyotas. I mean, they're, they're available. They're, they're just, they, they work, you know, yeah, it's they really do. Um, and there certainly are Land Rovers in that price range. Um, and we've, Matt and I have both owned more of them than we can count. Yeah. It's a reason and, they're not on the list. Yeah. And, I shouldn't say that Land Rover people don't hate me, but I mean, if your goal is just a travel, better, there's just a better option. If it's not a brand thing, if it's a, if it's a brand you love, then absolutely travel around it. the world yeah. in a series one discovery. Um, I had one for a long time and I absolutely love it. It's my first car. Yeah. yeah. It's need versus wants for me. Yeah. I mean, if, if you tell me I need to have a Land Rover, I'm going to tell you a million reasons why, why you don't need a Land Rover. I'm going to tell you a million reasons why you don't need a Land Cruiser. Right. If you say you want it, Go for it, man. Just enjoy it. Have yeah, just enjoy it. it. Own totally. it. You know? Totally. Um, All right. You so know, 80. Let's talk to me about the 80. Okay. So the 80 is on this list with a big question mark. Now, I'm a huge 80 series guy. I have a, I, I have in particular an imported 80 series with the uh, turbo diesel engine. Um, yeah, they're, they're great if you can find one in, in good condition. They're, they're heavy. They have a lot of payload. Um, they're a little bit underpowered. They're definitely thirsty on, on fuel, just starting off with the negatives because there are a lot of positives. Um, you know, they are very, very well-made vehicles. I mean, I, I don't know what you would think, Scott, but I would think that 80 series and the G-Wagon, they, they just, they're just mechanical machines. They're really, really very cool. Ro- very robust. And, and I mean, I'm not trying to talk people out of the 80 series, but yes, can you buy an 80 series for three grand all day long? Is it going to be a rust bucket that was never maintained? Most likely it's the maintenance that really makes me question the Land Cruiser. I mean, I know from personal experience, I, I have an emotional connection to my 80. It's not a need thing. It's a want thing. You know, I, I, I'm a Cherokee into bushings and very basic service onto my Land Cruiser using, you know, factory parts. And I do a lot of my own work. Um, you know, that's something that I think, you know, everybody says I'm driving around the world buy a Land Cruiser. Yeah, Maybe. Like, uh, if you're going to be hard, in, they're hard to find. It's hard to find that clean and they're sub very expensive overseas. Su- yeah. You know, you're, you're going to find more affordable parts, more affordable ve- parts for more affordable vehicles. I mean, the 80 series is a luxury vehicle. Let's be honest. You know, they for most were people for yeah. most people you go to, I mean, I almost said Venezuela. They are literally everywhere there, but you go to some poorer countries, you know, the Land Cruiser, are, are, are you going to readily find parts in stock? Most likely not. A lot of, a lot of people don't realize that um, even Toyota dealerships, they're going to have parts, service parts for the vehicles that everybody uses, which is going to be like a 70 series or a Hilux. Yeah. But finding an 80 series distributor or an 80 series coil pack, if you've got a later model, yeah. um, that's going to be very, very difficult to find internationally. Uh, and I think the biggest challenge with the 80 series is you can't find clean examples anymore. Mm-mm. There was a period of time where it was the vehicle of choice and anybody who could find a clean one, they bought it, they modified it to the hilt. And now they're typically not appropriate for long distance travel. They've been, they've been too lifted, too yeah. heavy, um, or wheeled too hard for too long. Um, and it's just so difficult to find a clean one. That's why that forerunner is such a, or a Cherokee is such a great. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I really think that, you know, the 80 great vehicle, maybe not the best vehicle if you're on a budget, if you have the money, 
and you can put it in, they're great. I mean, we, we took our Land Cruiser 80 down, down Baja over the winter. I mean, it was great. We had our dog in the back. It was very comfortable. No dust got in, you know, it's great, but you know, I don't want to say how much I'm into that 80 to get it to that point. Yeah. And we had a 96 heritage edition with the, both tanks were oversized Yeah, and you needed all of that fuel capacity to get the range out of them because 12 miles to the gallon with 35s is pretty common. Yeah. I mean, I, I see 16 to 18 with my diesel. Mm. Um, you know, people on the internet like to tell me that, Oh, you should be getting 30 in this. I'm like, no, those, they weren't ever really that efficient to be yeah. honest. Yeah, you, um, typically a diesel, you see 30 to 40% improvement over the gas car, yeah. which is exactly what your number looks like. And, and in some it. states, that's exactly how much extra diesel costs. <laughs> yeah, so um, Grand Vitara was, was one I didn't expect from you. Um, yeah. And I think it's because it's an international platform. Yeah. Um, any sold of these, everywhere. yeah, any of these vehicles that were sold everywhere um, is something worth considering. Suzuki is still a very popular brand internationally. You'll find it in a lot of developing countries because it's affordable. They're also really small vehicles overall, but the Grand Vitara in particular is just big enough to be able to sleep inside. It's just big enough to be able to carry some um, uh, additional equipment. There's heavy aftermarket support. You can get yeah, there is. ARB really bumpers. popular in Europe. Yeah, you can get differential locks, additional suspensions, um, and they do get that closer to that 20 miles of the gallon, uh, very reliable motors as well. Um, I had such good success with with the Jimny going across the Silk Road that I, I've never really forgotten the Suzuki as a consideration. And I think a Grand Vitara would be a great fit for a lot of people. Super cheap. Three grand, drive that sucker all the way down. Yeah, I mean, if, if, you're not, if you're not into the four-wheel drive thing at all, um, and you really just want to have experiences, I think, and you're on a budget Man, Grand Vitara would be, and you're would totally be an option. The, you're totally under the radar. Yeah. Yeah. In I mean, nobody's, country. nobody's going to mess with you. Yeah. No, totally under um, the radar. Yeah. But yeah. So I guess this is, uh, you know, where we should move on. We've kind of broken this into kind of a, you know, low mid and, and a, and a high budget tier. Um, yeah. So let's move on to the second generation Tacoma. Those can be had. I mean, pretty easily 15 to 20 for sure. Good examples these days, huge amount of aftermarket. Again, you know, you're starting to creep up in terms of price in those aftermarket accessories, but there's so many of them out there. Um, and it know. doesn't need a lot. It if doesn't. you buy a, if you buy a TRD second generation Tacoma, you've got a rear locking differential. Um, you've got a vehicle that right out of the box doesn't, doesn't require much. No. Um, just addressing some of the suspension issues, um, that vehicle had a very soft front spring rate and a relatively stiff rear spring rate, um, which made them handle, I think, pretty poorly off-road. Yeah. Um, so once you address that, put a little bit better shocks on it, some nice tires, you're ready to go. It doesn't really require much more than that. Yeah. And and with with that second-gen Taco, too, you're starting to open up the ability you know, for a, a wedge camper on the back or a a four-wheel camper or something of that sort, sure. which, you know, they, they do, the four-wheel campers in particular, I think are a good option. They, they are expensive, um, but they, they maintain their value and it's kind of an all-in-one package. I mean, ready to go, you know, you could buy a bone stock second generation Tacoma, maybe do some, some suspension upgrades for the additional weight, throw a four-wheel camper in the back and you're mm-hmm. going to be very comfortable. Right. Um, you know, you're going to have shelter, you're going to have heat, you're going to have your refrigerator, everything that, that you would have to buy and, and maybe equip separately, you, you can just be done and go. And you could, you could buy a second generation Tacoma and a, and a used four wheel camper 
be on the road for 30 grand all day long and have everything you need to be very comfortable. You really would. And you would just have to be careful at that point about additional accessories. Um, you'd have to leave the ARB bumper at home and everything yeah. else. Cause you're, you're 800, 850 pounds into a camper model, yes. even a little bit higher. The shell models can be around 500 to 550 for a second gen uh, Tacoma, but just be mindful of that payload. Again, it just starts to get, starts to creep up there. Yeah. And you do have that, that first generation Tundra as well. Um, Another great vehicle. Though, I mean, it, it, it's my favorite used pickup truck. They, they drive like a Camry. And I mean that in the highest regard, yeah. they drive well, they're very reliable. 4.7 liter V8. Essentially, essentially the same motor as the Land Cruiser, mm-hmm. essentially the same motor, transmission as the Land Cruiser. Um, you know, those are really bulletproof motors. I mean, it, the, the joke always is it's what mechanics drive. Cause they don't want to, they don't want to have to work on stuff after they're done. Um, you know, and, and again, one of those with a four wheel camper or something in the back would be a really great option. Yeah. Some folks within Toyota years ago told me that the 4.7 liter V8 is the most reliable motor they ever brought to North America. Yeah. I'd believe um, it. And they're, they commonly hit 500,000, 600,000. Yeah, I think miles. the only, the only known issues those things have is like a, a manifolds develop a little crack, but very, yeah. you know, it's just, pretty rare to experience an issue with those. Yeah. They're super, super bomber. And then of course we got fourth gen forerunner. Um, another nice vehicle. Um, they start to get a little bigger, a little bit bigger. You're on the Prado 120 chassis, which is, um, you know, again, internationally serviceable, all your bushings and bearings and that kind of stuff that seems to go wrong on the road, you know, very easy to do, but I don't know if I would buy a fourth generation forerunner, honestly, now that the GX 470, which is not only the, I mean, it it is a Prado 120 with a few different body panels, more payload capacity. It has that V8 are really nice places to be inside. And I mean, what are those are approaching? Those are, you can, can you get those for 10 now for, for a higher mileage? Yeah. High mileage trucks. You can get 10, 12 grand. I bought one a year ago for 16. That was a really clean truck. Yeah. Um, but again, you have that 4.7 liter V8, which is incredibly reliable and I, and in, in stock form, I can get 19 miles a gallon out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Five speed automatic. Um, the advantage also of the 470 is because it was originally designed to be a seven passenger SUV. It has more payload than the forerunner. Yeah. Um, so you just, and then it, once you pull those third row seats out, you gain that additional weight back you on do, top of you it. Do. So, um, if you're looking to, to add some additional weight, you want to run drawer systems, you want to run a roof tent, you want to run, um, some heavier bumpers and winches, a 470 is a much, a GX 470 is a much better option yeah. than a forerunner. I mean, you're going to have some non-essential stuff that, that may fail on a, on a 470, you know, heated seats and all kinds of crazy power luxury things, but at, at the core of it, that has to be one of the most reliable vehicles Toyota has released here. I mean, it has that four, seven motor. Yep. And the big thing is I've been told by several Lexus GX 470 enthusiasts, most of them um, included maintenance. You know, a lot of them were leased vehicles that were dealer service, dealer maintained, right. um, you know, where the forerunner Maybe, maybe not. I don't know if you have any opinions on that, but I think you're right. I think, I think uh, the Toyota dealership experience is different. They're not going to get included maintenance typically. Um, And oftentimes people buy Toyota vehicles specifically because they are reliable, which means they oftentimes forget about oil changes and stuff like that. That really happens um, with Toyotas relatively often. Whereas Lexus owners, probably a little more pedantic, a little more likely to take advantage of 
dealer included service um, yeah. contracts, things like that. Uh, but most importantly, it has that additional payload in the 4.7. You can't get the 4.7 in the fourth gen Forerunner, but those are very difficult to find. Yeah, they're pretty expensive. And they can be more expensive than a GX. Um, the only thing I've found on the GX is the leather is just garbage. So mm. you tend to need to put a seat cover on it. Um, like an escape gear seat cover canvas one out of South yeah, Africa yeah. or something, but you tend to need to address the leather on the seats. But other than that, they're bomber. Yeah. And I guess the reason I brought up that maintenance thing is for any of these vehicles that we're talking about, you know, you have to buy the right example of it. And, you know, more likely than not, the right example is going to be something that's well factory maintained. Yep, um, absolutely. You know, a lot of us states don't have any kind of requirements for, for maintenance, um, or servicing or registration inspections or that kind of thing. So, you know, getting something with those factory service records is going to be a really good idea. But totally. I agree. We're going to, let's stay on that four, seven train and talk about the hundred series land cruiser. Yeah. So probably one of the best choices, no question, but again, really expensive to maintain accessories are really expensive. I mean, and they're difficult to find uh, low mileage. I remember when I was looking for the GX 470, I was also looking for an LX 470 or a, or just a Land Cruiser 470. And um, it, they were very difficult to find under 300,000 miles. Yeah. Very difficult. Yeah. Um, and if you, if you found a, a low mileage, which means hardly driven example, they could be twice the money. So they were yeah. very proud of a low mileage hundred series Land Cruiser, and they get the money for it. They do, and they sell because they're great vehicles. I mean, the hundred series has been our number one recommendation in the past for a used overland vehicle. If you can find a low mileage hundred series Land Cruiser, it is the right kind of vehicle to buy. Eighteen hundred pound factory payload. Um, you remove the third row seats, and you gain some additional payload on top of that. Uh, extremely robust drivetrain very reliable four, seven. Um, in most cases, they're a better choice than an 80 percent. other than extreme terrain. Um, in they're going to handle better. They're going to stop better. They're going to accelerate better. They're going to be more reliable than an 80. Um, in quieter, parts are easier to find. I mean, 80 For series sure. parts are getting hard to find. They are. And the 100 series was a global platform. So if you're down in Argentina and you go to the Toyota dealership, they're going to know what a hundred series Land Cruiser is, yeah. and they're going to be able to get parts and service it. And that's definitely one of the advantages of a Land Cruiser is you just have that global dealer infrastructure to be able to support. Your yeah. Trip. Yeah. But they are, again, keep dwelling on it, really expensive, they're to, expensive, yeah. expensive to modify. I mean, the fuel economy on them is pretty dismal. Um, so you might want to look at for, for, for certain areas where you're traveling, you may require, um, a way to carry fuel, whether that's a, a, a rear bumper, which adds quite a bit of cost or some kind of auxiliary, auxiliary tank. tank. Yeah. Um, but if you are, if you, if you're thrifty, you can, you know, there's a factory auxiliary tank that you can piece together from parts on the internet and, you know, you can make it work. I um, think the thing to do with a hundred series, um, is to avoid the, the standard throwing the catalog at the car. I think. I think that that's a mistake. If if someone buys a hundred series Land Cruiser, uh, they should just address suspension to gain a little bit of ground clearance. Yeah. Um, go with a tire size that's globally available, and then just start traveling with it, just as it is. Yeah, um, they're very capable vehicles. The only time I've ever seen an issue with one um, was with the center differential lock uh, mechanism. 
Um, cause we were doing water crossing after water crossing after water crossing in, in Copper Canyon in Mexico. And I just, the vehicle that I traveled with a lot at that period of time owned by a friend of mine, Duran, he, he had no issues with that car. It yeah. was extremely robust. Yeah. They're, they're really well made, but there's also some American options too, that are really well made, oh, yeah. really reliable. So Chris Cortez, he's the editor for Expedition Portal. Um, he has a seven, three excursion that is mint so nice it's really really nice now he he's he's put some money into it but he decided that that was the vehicle that he wanted um you know the 73 diesel motor is very 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 loud um but very very reliable they in are. the same regard um yeah know. if you look at Gary and Monica Westcott from the Turtle Expedition uh, they've driven around the world a few times in 73 powered diesel Fords um, and they've had very, very few issues. In fact, one of their vehicles that they used across Siberia in the winter, they had no mechanical failures yeah. uh, from that drivetrain. So the 7.3 is highly desirable. And because of that, they are a little more expensive. So finding a clean 7.3 excursion is going to set you back 20 grand. Yeah, yeah. S- same with... Uh you know, same with the pickup version, F-250, F-350, they're, they're, they're sought after by a lot of people, not just in the Overland community, but I mean, everybody, everybody likes those things. So it, it is worth mentioning, you know, you can definitely, I don't want to say skip over the 6.0. I know that there's ways to make those reliable, but I don't know if that's the best way to spend your travel money. The 6.4 gets a little bit better. The 6.7, I, I used to own one of those. It was a flawless motor, very quiet, you know decent fuel economy, but then you start to get into the diesel exhaust fluid and uh, emissions kind of systems. Yeah. I definitely um, think the seven, three Fords either an excursion variant or as a pickup starts to be a global truck. It starts it, to be something. And it can see. handle the diesel, the different types of diesel. For sure. Some, some people may not realize the diesel that, that we have in the United States um, is ultra low sulfur diesel. And it has, you know, they measure it in parts per million of sulfur content. It's very, very low. 50 parts, um, per million. 50 parts per million. Yeah. You get into Mexico, even Mexico, like you get 500 a, parts per million, 500. And these, these newer engines don't necessarily like that where the older engines thrive off of it. Um, you know, so, you know, there's also the, uh, you know, the, the Dodge stuff, you know, I guess I've trained myself to call them Rams now, right. But the Dodge Ram 2500s and 3500s, um, you know, with those 12 and 24, Valve Cummins motors. I mean, it, it, if, if there's an engine that is worshipped more than the seven three, the only one in America would be that be twelve Cummins. valve yeah. Cummins. I mean, sure. they're very reliable, um, and they were available with a manual transmission, which addresses one of the main issues with both the Ford and the Dodge, which is weak transmissions behind all that torque. Um, I would definitely look at finding a manual transmission Cummins. Ram. And then from there, you can put a four wheel camper on the back, build out your own camper yeah. solution. Huge payloads. Yep. Significant payload. You're dealing with enough payload to carry a Cherokee in the back of it. 3,000, yeah. 3,000 pounds plus. So well over a metric ton of capacity in those trucks. And that starts to be really meaningful when you want to get further and further afield where you, you need the, the durability and reliability of a diesel, but then also the, the, the fuel, um, cost reduction of that and the additional range. So I think a diesel, one of those North American spec diesels is a good choice. Yeah. I mean, we all love to, you know, kind of romanticize the 70 series, Mm -hmm. but if you think in America, what is, what is our 70 and it's, it's, 
it's the big American diesel trucks. You know, they are built to work and you can, you can get them dolled up to massage seats, to everything, to a vinyl bench seat, depending on what, what you want. Um, you know, and, and they're not too expensive to fix. They're really not. And, and I, I did a trip up to Tuck Tuck in the winter um, on the ice roads with a bunch of the AEV Rams and they were nice to drive. I mean, they were, they were super safe, comfortable Very on the highway. Um, you could carry as much stuff as you wanted out of them. They were, they were really great. I, I, I think that a full size um, Dodge or Ford is worth considering. Now the, the downside to that is most countries do not have vehicles in that size range. Yeah. So they're going to be big going down the streets. You're going to have issues getting into these small colonial villages yeah. throughout the Americas. Particularly the older you go with those American pickups, you know, you're going to have coils or leaf springs up front on the Fords, for example, and the turning radius is like really bad. Yeah. Really, you know, not ideal for, for some of those smaller streets and areas. Um, but yeah, certainly worth considering. Yeah, certainly. If, if you want to go the camper route, I mean, can you do a camper in a Tacoma? hundred percent. People do it all the time. Do you want to do it right? Maybe consider. For There's sure. also the F one fifties and the 1500s. I mean, those mm-hmm. things are ubiquitous. I, everybody knows. About you also mentioned things. the Tundra the, with the, the four Tundra. Seven. That's another um, good choice. But the other it's thing that we really, you know, haven't spoken of um, is the LR four. Right. So there was a huge stride in reliability from the LR three to the LR four. You moved from, I want to say a BMW engine it was a BMW motor, or Jaguar yeah. motor to basically what really was a Ford motor and, and, and drive line. And that, that five liter V8. I mean, we had one we did, um, yeah. for a while. It was, it was flawless, flawless, literally flawless, very comfortable, not a single warranty claim on the car for years. I, I remember when I drove that thing, I would turn the air conditioned seats on and the heated steering wheel on and the heat in the morning just because I could. <laughs> and this, these are vehicles you can get for 15 grand all day long. Yeah. They're very affordable now. Low mileage examples for 20. And they're a 16 to 1800 pound payload vehicle. They have a very high roof load rating as well. 200 pounds plus from the factory. Um, They're very comfortable to drive. Uh, The only issue that tends to be consistent with the LR4s is the airbag suspension. So you got to keep that up. You got to keep those serviced. You got to keep them in new condition. Um, You you might want to bring a spare compressor along. There's also some pretty cool little kits that allow you to have little bypasses to the airlines, so you can actually manually inflate the bags mm. on each corner. That's a good IDT idea. The ID tool that we had yeah. for that, if I recall, right. allowed you to clear those service faults. You know, you you can put all of the overseas spec stuff on the LR4. So if you want to convert it to coil springs, you can. You yeah. can you can do all of that. You know, the thing I do caution is I think what makes the Land Rover so great is that air suspension. The moment you you, you get away from the air suspension, and I'll be honest, you're driving a Subaru with low range. I mean, they're, you know, they're generally, especially if they're lifted on the steel suspension, you have no down travel, Mm -hmm. you know, you're sacrificing your up travel with spring rate. Um, It's something to, something to look at. Definitely. But the LR4 or the Mark three Range Rover, they're both great choices in this price range. Um, But I think the one thing to caution people is you're still buying a Land Rover or a Range Rover, which means that maintenance and service is still going to be 
Land Rover, Range Rover prices. Yes. Um, and a lot of people don't realize the first time you take your Mark III Range Rover in for a full factory oil change and service, you're going to spend 1200 bucks Yep. and you're going to spend 20 bucks on a Cherokee. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. I mean, again, it's a need versus want thing. If you, if you, if you value comfort um, and you're in the 10 to $20,000 price range, you know, and I mean, the LR4 is going to get better gas mileage than a hundred series. Yep. It's going to be quieter. Mm-hmm. It's got I, a great I'm, little motor too. Great motor. I mean, plenty of power. Um, yeah, they're definitely worth considering. If if Land Rover is part of your passion, the LR4 is a great choice. Uh, personally, I would take the Mark III Range Rover over the, having owned both vehicles. Yeah. Um, I, I like most of them come with a factory rear locker. Um, they do have more articulation, more suspension travel. It's a different chassis. Yep. Um, whereas the LR4 shares the chassis with the Range Rover Sport. So the Mark III is its own vehicle and it does perform better off-road. It has a slightly um, shorter wheelbase, a better approach and departure angles overall. Um, so I really like the Mark III Range Rover. I owned one. I had no issues with it. It, it uh, was a great vehicle. Yeah. And particularly the 2010 to 2012, the last two right. years of those have the same drive line as the LR4. Um, but definitely be concerned. You know, I, I, I don't think it would be unreasonable to see a Range Rover get broken into and like yeah. some you know, area that maybe isn't that safe. Um, keep that in mind. Um, yeah. So I, I, I think, you know, let's, let's move on to what we're considering our high price range. So, you know, there's, these tend to be a little bit more eccentric vehicles. Um, there's so many great options and, and, and they're eccentric because there's so many great options yep. in the kind of low mid, um, you know, price range. I mean, obviously we're, we're really focusing on used cars. So, some of these, you know, yeah, you could buy a new Ranger Tacoma. I mean, the Frontiers, they're blowing those things out and they're great. Very reasonable you know, price. There, there are new vehicles that you can drive off the lot in this price range, but we're not focusing on new vehicles. You know, we're focusing on things like the 200 series Land Cruiser, which is in the U.S. a seventy, eighty, ninety thousand $90,000 car. And they are, I mean, phenomenally reliable. I mean, I, I, I was once told that, um, they were the strongest land cruiser ever made. And that might've, that might've come from you from it one was. of your discussions with the engineer. Yeah, we were, we were in Nagoya, Japan, taking delivery of the 70 series for the expedition seven trip. And the engineer was just interested in why we chose the 70. And I said, well, it's cause it's so strong and so reliable. And he's like, well, that's true. He says, but the 200 series is the most durable yeah. land cruiser we've ever made. And if you look underneath one, you can see it. In fact, the, the trucks that we drove across Antarctica, we would swap out the transfer case from a 200 and swap out the rear axle from a 200 into, oh, a, wow. into a Hilux because they, they can handle the abuse of months in low range um, yeah. at minus 40 conditions. Incredibly durable vehicle. And I would absolutely recommend the 200. If someone says, you know, price really isn't an option. Um, I want something that's going to take me around the world with little to no trouble. I would recommend 200, 200 series. series all day long. They have tons of payload, um, extremely robust. They have a 240 pound roof load rating. Um, you can even convert them over to campers that can be done in Europe. There's a couple yep. companies that are doing that. Um, <clears throat> they're also very capable, but they are big. They're a big vehicle. Um, they're also going to be expensive to service internationally. But if you go to any country in the world, you're going to find a Toyota dealership and you're going to find local dignitaries, 
local politicians. They're going to drive 200 series land cruisers. You're going to be able to get those things serviced. And here's the cool thing with the 200 series. I mean, again, going back to the 80 and, and, and the 100, those are, I mean, the 80 is a classic car at this point. It's, right. you know, it, it came out around the world in 1989. Right. Like it's, it's older than me. Yeah. Um, you know, you're not going to walk into a dealership and find parts for an 80 or maybe, maybe a 100 series, but you're going to walk into a dealer that knows that has mechanics that are trained on that vehicle, that they know how to work on it. I mean, the people that are working on your car right now, they're probably like me. They probably you know, there were, there were kids when the 80 came out, right. Um, they, they don't necessarily know how to work on that stuff. It's, it's a completely different mindset of, 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 of auto repair. That is the 80, that is the, the 200. Um, so that's a huge bonus for that car. Um, you know, I mean, incredibly they safe. have been proven yeah. in every way possible. I mean, how many miles, you know, does Rob have on, on his, that's now at the Land Cruiser Museum. I mean, hundreds of thousands of kilometers off-road in yeah. Australia. I mean, we're, we're talking corrugations, you know, as I say that the size of beer cans, like they, they just work. Yeah. yeah. I remember driving that, that VDJ, that twin turbo diesel 200 series across Australia in 2011. And it was one finger on the steering wheel, ultra low driver fatigue, yep. like very comfortable. I Bluetooth to my phone yeah. um, and it would go, I mean, it would easily do the canning stock or any, or the Cape York route, any yep. of those technical routes you can do with a 200 series Land Cruiser, but it is extremely capable, extremely durable, extremely safe to drive um, s- multiple airbags, um, yeah. all of the safety equipment that you get with a modern vehicle, mm-hmm. but it still retains that, Toyota Land Cruiser durability and reliability. And that's what makes it, I think, the number one choice um, in that price range. But there are some other cool cars. I mean, it's probably the number one choice <laughs> as far as used overland sure. vehicles yeah, go. Sure. I mean, you're you're going to end up spending the same amount of money realistically on a 100 series right now as you are on a 200. In many um, cases, yeah. You know, um, you know. So what else would you, what would you buy in this price range, Matt? G-Wagon. G-Wagon. No, um, GX 460 would be really high on my list. Um, you know, a good buddy of mine, Brian Dorr from Exploring Elements, just started building one that he's debuting at SEMA, and uh, it's the first really clean one that I've seen. Um, you know, he had a custom bumper made for it, a custom roof rack made specifically for his needs. They're just they're really comfortable. They're really reliable. They're a Prada 150. You can service them everywhere. Um, you know. Again, mechanics know what they're working on with this vehicle. It's still currently sold. It's sold. I mean, a Prada would have to be more common than a 200 series Land Cruiser no around quite, the world. Yeah, they would, no they would have to sell more of them. They do for sure. Um, you know, you have that nice V8. It's really quiet. Most of them have air conditioned seats and heated seats and decent payload. I think almost all of them were seven seats. They were seven seat vehicles, which I know there were five seat, but most of them were, were sevens. Yeah. So that's going to get you that 16, 1700 pound payload capacity, which is going to allow you to put bumpers on it. And And if you want to do the crazy suspension kind of thing, because you want it, maybe you don't necessarily need it. A lot of the forerunner stuff that people are developing these days, the long travel, whatever, whatever you want to do. It crosses over. I mean, why the GX 460? I mean, I, I think it is becoming a lot more popular it than, it, than it ever has yeah, been. It is. People are recognizing. Um, I mean, Lexus did a GX off-road concept, which was really just a couple cool. months ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so they they recognize they have something there. Um, you know, the the G five hundred Mercedes. You, 
those are, they're, they're interesting vehicles. Right. I'll, I'll just say that. I mean, they are, I, I like to refer to them as like the Leica camera of, of Overland vehicles. They, they're very durable. They're, I mean, they're, they, they look bulletproof. I mean, Scott, you know more about the G's than I do. Well, it's the vehicle I've owned the longest of yeah. any, of any vehicle I've had, um, my G wagon since, um, 2009. Yeah. And, uh, it isn't as reliable as a Toyota, but it's a lot more reliable than a Land Rover. So it's kind of, it kind of gives you that eclectic feel of a Defender, uh, but more of the reliability of a Toyota, yeah. um, which I think is unique. So if you're looking for a unique vehicle that has factory triple diff locks, factory solid axles, factory coil sprung suspension, um, mine has an 1800 pound payload capacity. Yeah. Um, so it right out of the box, they were designed to be a military vehicle. They were commissioned by the Shah of Iran, uh, in the 1970s to be a military yep. vehicle and an asset protection vehicle. So this is, but they're, they are very unique. They're different. They're, it's hard to find mechanics that know how to work on them. Um, but Mercedes has a massive dealer network around the world because, and they haven't changed much. I mean, haven't. you can, you could have a brand new G wagon and they're going to be, you know, nearly identical to, uh, to when they came out with the Chavarin. I mean, you're still going to find dealer mechanics that know how to work That's on right. them, That's that right. are trained on them. You know, the, the Mercedes parts network is, it's impressive is, is phenomenal. I mean, they can, they can have parts anywhere in the world and, you know, days. And one thing that's actually very cool about Mercedes that not many people know, if you were to go buy a new Mercedes G wagon today, it comes with a 12 month unlimited mile international warranty. I did not know that people do not know that you can go. If you buy a brand new Mercedes, you can drive it to Europe. You can drive it down Africa. If you have any issues with any Mercedes purchased anywhere in the world, it comes with a factory 12 month unlimited mile warranty. That's pretty cool. It's very cool. So if you wanted to buy a new G wagon, you just rock up to the dealership and say, Hey, I, I need a new whatever. Yeah. I mean, if you have a 130 or 140 grand in your pocket, but the cool thing with the G wagon is, is, you know, good examples of G 500s, which have that five liter V eight, that's bulletproof. You know, they're us spec vehicles. You can get those for $20,000. Now, some of them are going to have high miles. Yep. It's pretty common for people to swap, you know, newer stuff on them. So they look a little bit better. Um, you know, the sky's the limit with what you want to spend on them. They, they generally are not as modified as, as, um, you know, some other vehicles can be, but still, a, you know, a great choice. I, I always say like, if you, the G wagon is what you thought the defender actually was. Right. Um, but, and there's, there's imported G wagons too. I mean, yeah. if, if you want to go ex military G wagon with, you know, diesel, whatever, diesel, yeah. whatever y- you can have them. I and mean, it was the vehicle of Tom Shepard for, it was like some time. Um, yeah, I think if you can own one car and you want something that's unique and different, uh, the G wagon's a great, a great vehicle. Yeah. It does everything relatively well, um, all the way up to crossing the Rubicon people have driven them across the Rubicon pretty regularly. Uh, so those are, they're great choices to consider. Um, but there's not much, this is rarefied air. Once you get into that yeah. $30,000 range, I mean, you can certainly buy a trail edition Forerunner. that's worth considering. I would say as well. Um, you start looking at, um, like a 2018 Dodge Ram, you can still get with a manual transmission. Um, there are some vehicles in that range that are definitely worth considering. Yeah. Um, I don't know that the the newer Tacoma would be high on my list of recommendations. Um, it it's just doesn't certainly very popular. It's, it's extremely For good reasons. It's extremely popular. Um, I just think that there, there might be better options now. Yeah. I mean, 
that man, that it, it's a wonderful truck. It's made very well. It's very reliable. You, you, you can't fault Toyota for saying that they provided the consumer with a bad truck. I just don't think that that 3.5 Atkinson cycle motor is my, is my favorite. Particularly when you pair it with that six speed automatic with a very high first and second gear. Um, If they had geared that transmission properly, I think it would have been a completely different story. Um, But if you look at a a JL Wrangler or a Gladiator, it's a nearly five to one first gear in the transmission automatic. And that makes a huge difference. Whereas the, the Tacoma I think is in the high threes to one first gear. Um, And when you deal with a lower torque off idle engine, a lower displacement engine, um, it just, it does not keep up with the competition in that regard. Yeah. I remember there's the ARB Tacoma, right? What were you seeing from horrible gas mileage and everything? And that, and that was very modestly modified. I mean, it was, it was a very tasteful vehicle in the way it was done, but I mean, I remember Bruce and I took that thing out and it was, they struggle 10 miles of the gallon. Yeah. They really struggle. But if you regear them, that helps. They're pretty good. That helps. And it's definitely, we're not recommending against a Tacoma. It's, it's just that with the second gen, they were so compelling. First gen, they were so compelling. Um, Right now you can look at like, you can buy a ZR2 with a diesel front and rear differential lock, multimatic suspension. You can actually get the vehicle we've always wanted, but it does, it has a different, even, even with a diesel, if you want it, you know, Um, and that is a rest of the world spec vehicle again. It is. Um, very durable. You know, you have the the Ranger that has come out. Um, hasn't been as popular as I thought it was was going to be. But all of those things land in the thirty to forty. They do price range. So by the two hundred, be done. Yeah, be yeah done just buy two hundred to be done. But if you want a new vehicle, you know, I mean, frankly, a new vehicle is probably a better choice than most of these. Um, I, I, I do think there's one last thing before we wrap up that's worth talking about. And it is the imported trucks for sure. Now we're putting these in the, in, in the high end category, even though some of them you might be able to get for five to $10,000, but know that these are old vehicles that require a lot of maintenance and refurbishment. I mean, you're 25 year old vehicles. You're not sure. only buying something sight unseen. You're, you know, in the case of Japanese vehicles, you're buying something sight unseen from an auction in Japan in a language you have no hope of deciphering. Right. So, you know, I, I, both of the Land Cruisers that we've had that are that are imported, um, we got through Steve Jackson at Land right. Cruisers Direct. Now that guy has great he's relationships. The, he's the Japan. one to work with. Yeah, he he's he's the guy to go with. I don't necessarily know if you want to import a Defender 110. I don't know if there's a, if there's a standout person that I'm sure. Do you nobody research? that I can think of? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there's there's people that are bringing them in and then refurbishing them fully. So like Heritage and those other brands, those are doing yeah. a nice nice Arconic, job. Arconic, I want to say, one. is one that that does some high end stuff. But certainly on the Land Cruiser side, which is probably the vehicle to consider, or a Nissan Patrol would be another good example. You can bring in those trucks, um, or you can go over to Europe and buy that 300 TDI manual transmission D1 you've always wanted, or a G-Wagon. Those are all possible. And we actually talked about this when we were preparing for this podcast was... Go to Europe, buy a vehicle over there, actually go see it yeah, and make a vacation out of it, drive it around Europe and then stick it in a container. You're going to save a lot of money um, if you do it that way. I've seen uh, series one discoveries with diesels, um, low mileage for seven or 8,000 euros. Yeah. Um, how fun would that be? Go over there, do a proper vacation, take it to Morocco and then ship it home. Yeah. There, I mean, and there's other places you can do that in New Zealand. You can do that in Australia. I mean, if you don't, 
forget the fact that you can, if, if, if you're going to be overseas, buy the vehicle overseas. Yeah. You know, as long as it's 25 years or older, you can bring it back. And, and, and honestly, you'll probably save money. Well, you will save money at least one For way sure. on shipping. And you'll also be able to bring back a really cool souvenir that depending on how attached you get to it, you know, you could, you could sell it. I mean, you could go to Australia right now and buy a Land Cruiser troop carrier yep. for 10 grand and bring it back over here and sell it for 25. This really is the high watermark of yeah. overlanding of, of any time that I can think of as an overland. So traveler. many options. There are so many options. You can bring in that Defender 110 you've always wanted. You can bring in the 70 series you've always wanted. You can buy a used 200 series now. You can find a diesel powered front and rear diff lock domestic mid-sized trucks. Yeah, we, we are in the golden age it of four wheel drives. It I mean, is the golden age. I, I hope people are realizing that. I mean, I remember... I remember when people thought independent suspension, even in the front was the death of four wheel drives. Well, then we, then we invented the Raptor and everybody just forgot about that. They're like, Oh, you mean I can go a hundred mile an hour off road and a factory truck. Okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, everything has its advantages. Um, yeah, there's so many options these days. It's there really great. is. Yeah, and it's been fun to talk about it. Thank you all for listening. Uh, remember, the most important thing is when you set your budget, emphasize the travel first and the vehicle and the accessories second, and we will talk to you next time.